Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Universe and You, the show where I get to tell you something awesome about the universe we live in. Have you ever looked up into the sky and seen these crazy, seemingly random dots in our night sky? Well, my friends, those dots are actually stars that are light years away and thousands of years old. And on this week's episode of The Universe and You, we will be discussing these beautiful dots and their importance to us as a species and a society. Now, with that out of the way, please sit back, relax, and let me blow your mind with some crazy facts about the universe we live in. As I had mentioned previously, this week's episode will be about stars. Now, we aren't going to be discussing the life cycle or how they form or anything like that, but rather what they form as a whole. We're talking constellations. At the core, constellations are essentially these pictures that we make of how the stars are laid out from our point of view. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard of the Big Dipper, so that's where we'll begin our journey. The Big Dipper is essentially, as its name implies, a Big Dipper. This easily observable constellation isn't actually a constellation in its own right, but rather a section of constellation, Ursa Major. Ursa Major is named so due to it resembling, well, a large bear. This constellation's name can be traced back as far as ancient Greece as being referred to as the bear in book 18 of Homer's Iliad. It was also known as the seven oxen in Latin, which I will defer the Latin title as I can't speak Latin, let alone pronounce anything in Latin. Now, you may be wondering what's so great about the Big Dipper in Ursa Major, and what makes it so great is the ease of finding, as well as what it leads to, the Little Dipper. The Little Dipper is named just as the Big Dipper, as it is a constellation that looks like a Dipper, a Little Dipper in this case. Not only that, it also falls under another constellation, similar to Ursa Major, but this being named Ursa Minor. Ursa Minor, or Little Bear, gets its name from resembling, well, a bear, similar to Ursa Major. Ursa Minor is a very special constellation, though, as it is the home of the one and only North Star. This star has been used for hundreds of years by travelers, as it points to the north. The North Star, also known as Polaris, is situated at the very end of the panhandle, and being that it is the brightest star in the Little Dipper, it's a pretty easy star to spot. The next group of stars that we'll be discussing today, and a personal favorite of mine, is Orion's Belt. Orion's Belt is in the same boat as the Dipper's, in that it is a notable feature within a larger constellation, in this case, Orion. Orion's Belt is my favorite as it is the easiest feature for me to find in the night sky, as it consists of three bright stars, known as the Three Kings, Alantak, Alanam, and Mintaka. The names of these stars come from Arabic, meaning string of pearls, sapphire, and belt, respectively. Now, the spelling of the stars is not Arabic, or at least not anymore, and they're believed to actually have been a copy error sometime during translation. The constellation they are a part of, Orion, is known as the Hunter, as the constellation depicts a man holding a sword and shield. It is also sometimes said that he is holding his prey in one hand and a club in the other, holding the club up in victory. Some of the noteworthy features of Orion are that it includes two very well-known stars, being Betelgeuse and Rigel. With the exception of Orion, all the constellations I have mentioned are only found in the Northern Hemisphere, and the next few can only be found in the southern hemisphere. And just an aside, the reason we have some constellations locked to certain hemispheres is due to the Earth's tilt in respect to the sun, stars, and the constellations themselves. 
These special constellations are called circumpolar constellations. Now Orion is different, as it can be seen in either hemisphere during specific times of the year, with in the northern hemisphere it's winter. Within the southern hemisphere there are three circumpolar constellations, being Crux, Carina, and Centaurus. The most notable of the three is Crux, as it is where the Southern Cross is found. The Southern Cross is special as it contains two very bright stars, among the brightest in the Southern Hemisphere, named Acrux and Gacrux, for Alpha Crux and Gamma Crux respectively. These two stars line up and point south, and were used in the same way as the North Star for navigation. Not to mention, the Southern Cross is also featured on the flags of the following countries, Australia, New Zealand, Papua New Guinea, Samoa, and Brazil. The Southern Cross is also mentioned in the national anthems of both Brazil and Australia. And just another brief aside to keep things nerdy here, there is a famous euphonium solo named the Southern Cross, which I highly recommend you listen to given the chance. Alright, back to constellations. The next constellation we're going to talk about is Centaurus. Centaurus is the ninth largest constellation out of about 88 recognized constellations. Centaurus is home of some pretty noteworthy stars in its own right, being Alpha and Beta Centauri, which both have a spot on the top 10 brightest stars in the sky. It is also home to Centaurus A, one of the brightest galaxies in the night sky, and the globular cluster Omega Centauri. In addition to those, the famous blue planetary nebula, also known as the Southerner, and the Boomerang Nebula are located here. The final constellation on today's radar is the third southern circumpolar constellation, Carina. Now, Carina has a pretty interesting past, as it is part of the remains of Argo Navis, a constellation first described all the way back in the 2nd century by Ptolemy. This constellation was then broken up in about the 18th century, with it being separated and renamed by the French astronomer Nicolas Louis de la Calle, along with two other constellations, Pupus and Vela. Carina contains the second brightest star in the sky, Canopus, along with some other notable stars, one of which being Eta Carinae, of the famous Carina Nebula. Other important celestial objects include the Theta Carinae Cluster, the Wishing Well Cluster, the Diamond Cluster, and the Open Cluster, NGC 3603. So, constellations and their meanings and such are cool and all, but it wouldn't be an episode of the universe and you without someone's mind being blown, or about to hit the mind-blowing bits. Now, groups and clusters of stars make these beautiful pictures in our night sky, but they're all a matter of perspective. Some constellations can't even be seen depending on what hemisphere of the planet we live on, as I had mentioned before. And not only that, but most constellations would look completely different or even non-existent on other planets such as Mars. But what really blows my mind is how much perspective really makes a difference. Take Rigel and Betelgeuse, for example. These two stars help form Orion, but are 392 light years apart from each other. The point I'm getting at is that we lump stars together in these constellations that may be hundreds to thousands of light years apart, and yet on Earth, they look like they could be best friends living two doors down from one another. They're also pretty far away from Earth, with Betelgeuse being about 642.5 light years from us, and Rigel being a staggering 864.3 light years. With the stars being this far from us, we're essentially looking into the past. The light we are seeing from these stars is hundreds of years old, and the light is just now reaching us. We're seeing them how they looked nearly a thousand years ago in some cases. 
This is crazy because these stars may not even exist anymore. These stars could have fizzled out, and all we're seeing are the last bits of light before they died. It's honestly a shame because hundreds of years from now, the constellations as we know them today could be vastly different, with older stars missing and newer stars cropping up, either taking their place or forming new constellations within the old. Now, we can't talk about constellations without talking about these things called horoscopes. Horoscopes are essentially a reading of one's future based on their sign, their zodiac sign. Your sign is determined by when you were born throughout the year. They almost line up with months, but not quite. To determine your sign, there are many websites and charts you can find online to find yours. If you want to find it the hard way, you're going to need a telescope. To do this, you're going to need to know the positions of the sun, moon, planets, and various other astrological aspects. Now, as interesting as this sounds, it's not a true science, as there's no scientific evidence to prove that it has any effect, no matter how much you feel like your horoscope matches how you're feeling. It's a pseudoscience. Nonetheless, many people will swear by these. I want to thank you all for listening to this episode of The Universe and You, and I hope you enjoyed, and I sincerely look forward to making more for your listening enjoyment. If you enjoyed, please share our show with your friends and go to Apple Podcasts, rate, subscribe, all that other stuff, wherever you get your dose of podcasts. Our next episode will be out next Monday, January 14th, and will be about the life cycles and death of stars. We also have an email that you can reach out to us at signifyingnothingnetwork at gmail.com. That email again is signifyingnothingnetwork at gmail.com. I want to thank you for listening. This has been The Universe and You by the Signifying Nothing Network, a tale told by idiots. Have a happy new year and a good, existentially unimportant week.